You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Christopher Media, let's make some noise. Everyone's talking. Hello. Oh, stop it. About me and him. Speak up, speak up. It really gets inside men's heads. <laughs> you say that this voice that you think you're hearing is coming to you from your genital region? Wednesday even speaks French. No. Yeah. It shows what's on their minds. How they think. Janet fakes orgasms? Pardon me? What? That's real nice of you to share with us, Bert. It's about communication. Hi, honey. So glad you called. Yeah, I heard that, Buster. It's about reaching out. Everyone needs a little pat on the ass now and then. You really see what men see in women. It's not sick. It's not sick. It's so honest. I love you, body and soul. Don't you look special? I'm under an incredible amount of pressure here. I hope you keep it up. Oh, it shows how sensitive men really are. When push comes to shove, I pump them and I dump them. Well, then let me take you for a ride. Bam, bam! It's touching. It's moving. He really opens up. Griffin Dunn. Carrie Lowell. Me and him. The comedy that hits below the belt. I certainly will look at my boyfriend differently now. Me and him. Now available on video cassette. Oh, all my friends have to see this. Absolutely. (laughs) Time is Mr. Adam Spiegelman. You can't keep me down. Was that you or was that your penis talking? (laughs) You will find out. This week we are looking at Me and Him, directed by Doris Dory and released in 1988. The film stars Griffin Dunn as Bert Utanzi, a man who has a very active relationship with his penis. On the day of his 35th birthday, he begins hearing directly from his penis, voiced by Mark Lynn Baker, cousin Larry himself. Bert is an architect who's trying to get his plans for a new marina built. He's overly dedicated to his work while his penis tries to get him to care more about the carnal pleasures in life. I'm not sure if there's anything to spoil in this movie or how easy it is to find these days, but consider this your spoiler warning. So, Adam, you actually requested that we do this as an episode. I'm very curious, when was the first time you saw this? And obviously, you must have loved it. Yeah, it was the 80s on VHS. It was a video store. I think I talked about this last time on your show. It showed a lot of weird movies. But I think mostly, I went there one time, and there was a salesman pressuring the guy behind the counter to buy all these bad films. So I think that's why they had so many cool, alternative, weird films. But me and him kept showing up on all these um publications you would get at the video store of upcoming movies. And it was like going to be a big deal that this film is coming out. I think I might have been the only person who rented it. I know it's supposed to be bad. And I do love bad movies for being bad, but I thought it was good. I mean, there's a lot of bad parts in it. We can talk about it, but I really enjoyed this movie. I really, I think, and as a 16 year old, holy crap, I could relate to this 35 year old guy. I think more then than I could when I was 35. Definitely. And Heather, I heard a rumor that you absolutely adored this film. Um, the rumors are false. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Heather. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And and I totally, I love your backstory with this because, you know, I I too was a child of 
of a VHS age and someone who came of age, like I was all about just finding weird, you know, the weirder, the better. And there are some like lowbrow type movies. I absolutely adore as Mike, you know, we've covered some of them together, Mike. <laughs> but you know, my quote for, uh, for this movie is Snoop Dogg once said that he has no love for hoes. And I actually have a lot of love for hoes, but I didn't have any love for this movie. <laughs> hoes over bros? But this could be a cool uh, point and counterpoint. Like, I totally respect your opinion. And I actually am looking forward to hearing, like, your take from it and yours too, Mike. So I think think this could be a very healthy experience. Well, I think what you said, Adam, is kind of telling as far as, as a 16-year-old, you enjoyed this or could relate to it a little bit more than you could as an actual 35-year-old. This reminds me a lot of the Netflix series Big Mouth, where... The uh, young boys, the the pubescent and prepubescent boys, where and girls, their urges are personified by these uh, hairy demons. The fuck did you just call me? I'm the hormone monster. I'm not a fairy. I mean, sure, I fuck around with dudes, but I'm not a fairy. And that's kind of what it reminds me of. Is the the, the humor and everything is very uh, adolescent let's say. So probably as you grow older, maybe you didn't necessarily identify with Griffin Dunn as much. Griffin Dunn, sex machine, apparently he can bed any woman in the world in this movie, which I just find remarkable. When I think of sex, usually Griffin Dunn is the first person who pops into my mind. He's just dripping with it. When you think of sex, Griffin Dunn is the best friend of the guy you think of. Yeah, it's so crazy that he turns on his libido, and it just turns out either since he turned on his libido, every woman wants to sleep with him, or women have always wanted to sleep with him. He just didn't know it. So, uh, Mike, are you are you saying that you feel like Griffin Dunn should have been the original choice for Big Jim Slade and Kentucky Fried Movie? Oh, yeah. Like, he's that kind of sex machine. Like, he just bursts through the wall like a Kool-Aid man looking Shalom for tram. Shalom alaikum. There were two things that got me to, to watch this movie. I'd never even heard of this film till Mike, uh, till Mike, you had brought it up to me. And I was like, I love Griffin Dunn and it's got a talking wang in it. And I'm like, okay, I'm sold. Like, and, uh, Griffin Dunn, I mean, he's great. I mean, I think he, I think he gives it his best in this. I kept thinking though, like sex machine. I kept picturing like different actors though in this role watching it. Like I thought like at one point, like what if Charles Napier was Bird? How epic would that have been? I mean, it would have been completely ridiculous, but, but yeah, you know. Excuse me, gentlemen, are you the good old boys? Yeah, that's right. I'm talking with Gilroy, lead singer, driver of the Winnebago. That would have been interesting. I mean, that guy is like a, a gruff dude. One of these guys that always plays the heavy, the mafia guy or, you know, the, the enforcer. That would have been different because you don't expect like it wouldn't feel like a goofy fun rom-com it would be like a guy woke up one day and his penis said get out there it might be darker should Nicolas cage be in the remake oh wow as the penis as the penis i feel like eric roberts should be the voice of the penis i don't know if you've ever seen um a talking cat question mark exclamation point (laughs) oh yeah he does the voice of the talking cat but it sounds like he did it into his phone at a bar you know, at last minute and sent it in. Basically did. I mean, not at a bar, but at his house, the director came over and just recorded him talking the role. If we're talking cat. Yeah. Yeah, it shows. You can talk, but only once. I don't make the rules, Phil. 
But let's talk about this movie. The same thing. Mark Lynn Baker, obviously not anyone's first choice. His audio is so, it's kind of like a talking cat version. Like it's so not in sync with the movie. Do you know what I mean? It sounds like there was an afterthought. They made no effort to make it the same track. Go for it, Bert. It's always good when you've been fighting. Are you crazy? How can you want to have sex? We're fighting. I couldn't tell. I thought the fight was over. I'm not a salad bar. You can help yourself too whenever you get hungry. He never shuts up. Okay, enough. Can we have, like, five minutes without you talking, maybe? Ugh. He was the worst. Like, he he sounded, he had the voice of a penis that should never get laid. Like, he does not deserve to get laid. Ever. At times it angered me. Like, I literally got angry because I'm like, this man, you know, this fuck this guy. Like, he's terrible. Like, you know, Griffin Dunn's, like, nice. And he's charismatic. You like Griffin Dunn. Marklin Baker, and maybe he's done some good stuff, but I'm like, he was the second banana and perfect strangers. Like, Co- Cousin Balky would have been a better choice. Well, my favorite year is a great movie. He's great in it. I just don't know. You know, Balky obviously is what it is. But was Balky not available? I mean, he could have done it. That would have been more fun. I didn't, if my penis talked to me, I don't know if I'd want it to be whiny. Dude, you have a great life. You're clothed all the time. You're, you're supported all the time. Uh, you're only taken out once in a while. You know, you're washed. I don't understand what the, why you would complain. Who would you want to voice your private part? Like what actor? Maybe Sam Jackson. That would be good. That's rugged. I'd have to go with Susan Tyrell. I want to show you my latest masterpiece. All the way. I would be, that, I, I would be honored if my lady parts. <laughs> At the voice of Susan Tyrell. Now I almost, almost want to change mine to Hervé Velasquez, but I won't. Start talking about the army of zombie babies. <laughs> oh my god. How about you, Adam? Well, I'm blanking on the name because I'm 100 years old, but in uh, Star is Born, who played uh, the lead? Uh, Bradley Cooper. And then who's who played his brother, I mean? Uh, Sam Elliott. So you know he did like a Sam Elliott impression the whole time? Yeah. I would want him doing the Sam Elliott impression because I feel like if Sam Elliott was the voice of my penis, I'd be way too intimidated because that's like a real man. But <laughs> Bradley Cooper doing an impersonation of him, that that's like on a good level. Like it reminds me of him. I feel cool. I don't feel uncool. You know what I mean? I, I can still rule everything. I, my brain could still take over. But yeah, I think that would be Bradley Cooper uh, doing that impression. When are they going to do the remake that has Kevin Hart with The Rock doing the voice of the penis? Kevin Hart would be great in that role. It's a good point because he's so physical. I just keep thinking of All of Me. This is like a perverted All of Me with Steve Martin. It is so much All of Me, especially the arguing with the voice that only you can hear. It's so weird that he's talking out loud, but the penis isn't, the voice is in his head. Yeah, so why does he do that? Yeah, and in the script, he talks out loud to the penis all the way through until right around the third act, and then it becomes Bert in voiceover talking to the penis. And I don't think that ever happens in the movie. He always talks out loud to the penis. And then not too often do you get, like, hilarity ensues where there's a couple scenes where he will talk out loud to the penis and then... Uh, other people will be around like he's in a bathroom and somebody's in a stall and comes out but it's still not what you would think as far as like who are you talking to or you know who does number two work for those kind of things you don't get a whole lot of that kind of stuff which is weird you would think that would be 
maybe the third joke that you go to. They didn't take advantage of that. You're right. It seemed like a lost moment. It's almost like somebody said, hey, isn't if he's speaking out loud, wouldn't he get caught? And they're like, oh, yeah, well, let's fix that and show that it's not a big deal instead of making it part of the movie and making it a funny scene. It's just like people don't care that he talks to himself. Bird is in the high-power job of being an architect, which I think for a while was the number one movie profession that you could possibly do. It's really funny because next week we're going to be talking about a movie called Heaven from New Zealand that came out in 1998, and our main character in that is an architect. So that's like the thing that you do. If you don't know what your main character is going to do, you make him an architect, and then you also give him the big pitch and have hilarity kind of ensue around that. I mean, as I was watching this movie, I just kept thinking of other movies, but I couldn't really put my finger on exactly which movie I was thinking of because I just have seen these story beats being used a lot in other films. It's like the whole idea he gets up in the morning, he makes this wish for his on his cake, his penis starts talking to him. I guess I'm thinking like a Freaky Friday or more of a vice versa, like father, like son, or 18 again kind of a thing happening there. And then goes in and he does this pitch. He kind of lets his penis take over a little bit. So I'm thinking maybe how to get ahead in advertising. And he comes up with this whole idea whole idea of doing a uh, like Venice uh, by the the South Pier, I guess, in New York. And talk about uncomfortable now in retrospect, there are so many shots of the Twin Towers in this movie, almost like all the scenes of them looking at the uh, the area where they're going to build this this new marina. The Twin Towers are behind them at all times. What can go wrong is what you're saying. The thing that I did appreciate this about this movie a lot is the supporting cast and some of the faces that are, are in the supporting cast. I mean, of course, we've got Craig T. Nelson as the big boss and then the very attractive Kelly Bishop as his wife. If you look, and we covered another movie with this gentleman, The American Astronaut, but Rocco Sisto, Professor S. Hess from The American Astronaut, is one of his co-workers. And then... Blink and you miss him almost as David Allen Greer as the guy who gives him this apartment before he moves out of town. And I would think that David Allen Greer would have been a huge presence in this movie, but I guess this was just too early for him or something. But he's in and out of this movie in five minutes. That actually made me a little sad because I love David Allen Greer and he's just, I mean, he's great and everything. Uh, I mean, he would have been a better choice for the penis voice. Like, he's funny. I mean, that's the thing about this film is um, one of the things I will say about it is, like, I mean, most of the cast, like, main and supporting, I mean, you've got some fantastic actors going on. you got Ellen Green as Bert's wife. She's fantastic. Ellen Green, I always liked and stuff, but she was just never in enough things. Like, I was so happy when she showed up in Pushing Daisies a few years ago. I say a few years ago, it was probably like 10 years ago. But I really enjoyed her. She was fantastic in things like Little Shop of Horrors and The Cooler. Just every time she's on screen, I like her, and I wish that she would have been a bigger actress. Yeah, I worked on an independent film. One of my first jobs, and it was uh, called States of Control. And she was in it. It was like a low-budget movie. And just, it was a weird thing where they part of the movie is she had dirty Polaroids of herself. And the producer, I just remember him making such a big deal 
out of me getting these and then handing them right to him that they wouldn't go anywhere. So, like dirty pictures of Ellen, of her, but even though it's used in the movie. So, but anyway, it was just so weird to see a big movie star like that in this low budget film. But yeah, she's a great actress. I don't know why, I, you, I don't know why she's not bigger as well, but uh, she gets these roles, you know, the only roles she got are these like the whiny wife roles. Like this role is a thankless, shitty role. I mean, even if it skips to the end, he doesn't realize he loves his wife. It, he realizes he, I mean, if you, I mean, optimistically, he realizes it's not about fucking every woman in New York. It's about his wife, but you never find that out. It's just like everyone dumps him. So he goes back to his wife. And so she doesn't, she never gets that sexy role. You know, I, I think that's part of it. I don't, that's probably part of it. And maybe she'll, pushing daisies seem like just such a perfect spot for her. And I don't get why the penis can't remember her name. He keeps calling her Anita, but her real name's Annette. Oh, I love that because he doesn't want to fuck her. He wants to fuck every other woman around. He doesn't want to sleep with the one woman that he's supposed to sleep with. He wants to screw around. So he doesn't, she doesn't mean anything to him. And they took out the one joke. There was a running joke in the screenplay that was whenever the uh, Chinese delivery man shows up that uh, Bert's kid, Bert Jr., BJ, and they never make a joke about BJ, that BJ would go running to the door yelling, Daddy, 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 and that the kid actually looked slightly Asian. They cut that joke out, which I was like, okay, well, if it's good for the goose, it should be good for the gander. But no, she is just this woman who stays home and pines for Bert through so much of it. And whenever she shows up, she is upset and she's treated like a shrew. And it's like, yeah, she has every right to be upset about this whole situation, the way that he moves out in order to work on this pitch and that every time she comes over, he's up to no good. And when she finds the uh, earring in his bed, it's she blows up and it's like, yeah, I completely understand why she would. I don't think that she's a shrew or a harpy, but that's the way that she's portrayed in the film. The whole gag about the, you know, his penis not getting her name right. She's hot. I mean, it's not just that she's, I mean, she's also like this great supportive partner that puts up with him whining and he leaves her alone with her little shitter kid because that kid is terrible. I kept hoping that there'd be this like, this twist where like all of a sudden like her vagina starts talking to her and she's like, I'm going to get some. And she goes on this big Messalina like style, like sex bang quest where she's like that's right Bert I'm banging every hot delivery guy on this boulevard buddy like that and it's just like and it ends with him crying like I don't know that's that would have been my version but. right she is sexy and right they could have given her something more than just him like when she comes to the apartment I thought oh that's a great turn that she's um so sexy and he realizes she's sexy and he goes back to her but of course we had another 45 minutes to kill we couldn't do that and I'm glad they didn't do the Chinese food delivery joke just because it seems out of place. Like, it's funny, but it would just screw up the plot of the film. And I feel really, it seems really weird that they would put that in because you just changed the whole dynamic of the movie. Like, his penis wakes up and says, hey, you should start cheating on your wife who's obviously been cheating on you. He's He, he can't be forgiven for what he did. He, he can't have an out. Like, you know, some movies, there's Sandra Bullock or whoever it is, and they meet the other guy, even though they have a boyfriend, and they fall in love, but they make the boyfriend or the husband abusive or alcoholic or something, so you can forgive her for cheating on him. So I don't think he deserves an out like that. 
Or if you're Meg Ryan, the other guy has allergies or he might mispronounce a word or something. And then that gives you perfect right to go off with whoever, you know, Tim Robbins or whoever that other guy is. Right. She has high standards. She's the worst. She thinks she's low maintenance, but she's actually high maintenance. I've said that in the film. You know what? I would have what she's having without a doubt. The other person I was very surprised to see in here is Robert Lissardo. And people, you know who Robert Lissardo is. You just probably don't know his name. And in this movie, you wouldn't recognize him because this is before he shaved his head and has neck tattoos. He shows up in so many things now as this like really mean cholo kind of guy, usually a drug dealer. He was in a lot of, oh gosh, uh, he's been in a ton of TV stuff and he shows up in movies. And in here, he's the office guy with the white shirt on. No visible tattoos. I don't know when he got his tattoos. And he's like the crude young office guy who's talking about pumping and dumping girls. But yeah, believe it or not, he is the guy who looks like he stepped right out of, I don't know, uh, anarchy, what, sons of anarchy. He's old, huh? I never thought he was that old. I didn't realize either. And when he started talking, I was like, his voice is familiar. And then, yeah, I, I looked it up and I was like, oh, sure enough, that's the same dude. But look at the 80s movies he was in. Hard to Kill, Penn and Teller Get Killed, uh, Renegades, True Blood, me and him, obviously, in Short Circuit 2, and Moving, another terrible film. Like, he just, he hit all those films. He said, I don't care. <laughs> Put me in it. Waterworld. I think I did. a drop zone in Waterworld. What am I saying? He's slated to be in like a dozen movies that come out over the next year and a half. Yeah, I saw that his IMDb page is all red with uh, pre-production, post-production filming. That's amazing. You flatter them all, bring them flowers, right? When push comes to shove, I pump them and I dump them. Well, I'm all work, no play these days. There's really not any nudity in this movie, which... It's kind of weird because, I mean, you the 80s were like kind of this good fertile time for sex comedies. And a lot of them, you know, had like at the very least toplessness. Like, you know, and um, this one is tame. I mean, for being a movie about a talking penis, it's pretty tame. Heather, I'm glad you brought this up. Because this is a complaint I've had since 1986 when I saw this film. I rented a movie from the video store called Me and Him about a talking penis. I bring it home. Nobody's home to watch it. I'm 16 years old. There is no nudity in this film. What is going on? That is not fair. In the first half hour of all these films, there's some kind of nudity for no reason. And then you keep watching because hopefully there'll be more nudity. That's the, it's an agreement we have. I pay $3 for a terrible film and you give me a little nudity. That's it. You should at least get a single boob. I mean, at least a, a boob. boob. Yeah. That's all I'm asking for. I'm 16 years old. A boob would have been fine for about a week. Oh, been okay. And also, like, you think you're watching something good. You know, it's a German director. Oh, German director. And then, you know, you get a little nudity and then you go to bed. But no, no nudity. It was a real film. Can you fucking believe it? Well, yeah, the penis has certain superpowers that it reveals as we go along. It's kind of like the, the suit in uh, Greatest American Hero. Like, as as we go along, we learn more powers. Uh, one of those is to allow Bert to see everyone uh, or every woman, I should say, in lingerie. So, yeah, no nudity. Uh, except there's a nun in the scene, and apparently the penis doesn't want to show what a nun looks like in lingerie. I found that really strange. 
Uh, if I can just quickly respond to that. First of all, describing your penis is like the suit in Ameri- Greatest American Hero. It's the best description I ever heard. Because over time in your life, you learn there's more uses for it. Uh, they're revealed to you. That's, that's brilliant. Uh, I took that scene as, again, as a 16 year old point of view, uh, your imagination puts everyone, like he wasn't really magically taking everyone's clothes off. He was letting his imagination, encouraging his imagination to look at everybody naked. And then maybe I was just projecting, but that's what I saw. Like the penis is like, just imagine all these people naked. I can do or that for you. Not naked, but in lingerie. Oh well, yeah. In, right, right. In lingerie. Sorry, I was 16. And then later on, he reveals that he knows every woman's name, which is really kind of strange, too. That was yeah. stupid. <laughs> that was just stupid. I hated Why it. Why was it stupid? It's just, it was dumb. It was like, okay, like, sure, whatever, dude. You know their names. Like, you don't know, you know, Ellen Green's, you know, hot ass. You don't know her name. You you don't see, you don't give us nudity. Because, come on, like, if a penis, you you two are dudes. Like, and, and men and women are the same. Like, if you're like looking at somebody like, I want to see this person naked, you're not going to be tasteful about it. It's going to look like a hustler's bread, probably. At the very least, penthouse, minus the Vaseline lens. But, uh, you know, it's just, it was, I just, the whole name. Oh, he knows their names. It's like, okay, what, whatever. Like, this is, you know, I just, I, I started this movie just, uh, I can't. But did he know their names? Because didn't he yell out a woman's name and it was wrong? The first one. But then after that, it was right every single time. And then it was basically it was just a bridge to get us to um, the, 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 uh, the boss's wife and then take us off on that adventure. This whole movie, it feels very much like uh, it's like little vignettes rather than necessarily a full plot because it's like, okay, now I'm over here and I'm going to have sex with this woman or now I'm over here and I'm going to have, uh, you know, flirt with this woman. Like in it, occasionally these things will meet up like that. He meets this woman, Janet in this records room and he starts giving her a foot job, which I, it's very, very uncomfortable. Her outfit is very uncomfortable. It's very 1980s fashion. Uh, and yeah, he gets his foot caught. She clamps his foot in there. And yeah, it's, it's, it's not good. But, and then she shows up later on and she will show up in his fantasies. We get several fantasy sequences. Again, nobody's naked. It's usually just, you know, like, oh, hey, uh, Bert, your wife's on the phone. And that seems to be the recurring joke when it comes to those. She ends up being with Craig T. Nelson. So Craig T. Nelson is cheating on his wife. And then when the wife wants to cheat with Bert, she has this, the wife has this whole thing of wanting to role play. And apparently, Role play is a bridge too far for Bert. He cannot handle that. Is that what it is? I wasn't sure if the penis all of a sudden was like ageist or you know, all of a sudden the penis has standards, which I thought was weird because it's a penis. Isn't that what this whole movie's about? That was another thing that angered me. That was many, one of many things that angered me in this movie was that, you know, he's been, you know, just wanging and banging random ladies at the whole movie and all of a sudden now, like, this beautiful woman who's maybe all of what, realistically, probably 10 years older than Bert. Like, she's not even that old. She's not even that older. And we've had him make menopausal jokes. 
because she's like, oh, it gets hot in the fall, and he's like, that's, is she going through menopause, Bert? And it's like, you, you suck. Like, you're a terrible penis. And then all of a sudden, he's like, oh my god, she's a perv. She's wanting to do light role play. Like, that's, you know, it's not she's all like, hey, take a dump on me, Bert. Like, you know, like, she's just, I can't. I can't with this movie. The penis is terrible. And he's, he's a shame. He's a shame to penises. I'm sure there's worse. Did you? I thought this scene was funny. The the music. He comes in there and they they built it up with the music and he's got the outfit on and they made like it just that was a silly thing like an album. It, would, it seemed like the film director's like, oh, let me do something fun here. Finally. Well, and it was fun at first, and then it's like, oh no, no, I can't do this. I know he should have just done it. He didn't not do it because he loved his wife. At least that would have tied into the ending. But he didn't do it because. Yeah, right, his penis was too good for it all of a sudden. Right, because he's having sex with the girl from the aerobics studio. He's having sex with uh, the the. It's not. Uh, it's like one of his assistants at work. So we've got the nice sexual harassment stuff going on there. Does he ever nail Janet? I can't remember. No, he never. He never sleeps with Janet because right at first he tries, but she just wants to be friends. And then when he finally tells his penis to, bu- to buzz off. And he gets rid of his libido, and he acts like a real human being to her, and treats her like a human being. Then she wants to sleep with him, and then he can't because that reminded me of the movie Bedazzled, where he just he can't close the deal. God, Bedazzled was such a better movie. Besides it being a much better movie, and of course, I'm talking about the Brendan Fraser version. Whoa, that's cruel! How dare you? I'm very curious, uh, Adam. How many times have beautiful women asked you to just sleep with them and? By that, I mean just sleep with them, like be in the same bed with you, but not actually have intercourse. Apparently, I'm the only person that's happened to, because, yeah, that's happened. And I thought thought that scene was kind of realistic, because you think, like, I really should try something, but they're telling me not to try something. Should I try something? Am I jerk not for trying something? And then you wake up the next morning, you think, oh, I should have tried something. Or I moved to New York after college, and I was in this comedy troupe, and there was this beautiful woman, and we hung out a lot. And she, I was living in Brooklyn. She lived right in Midtown, right on Broadway, right where all the Broadway theaters are. And she called me up at like 1030 at night. And she said, I want you to come over and sleep with me. Uh, I'm alone. I'm scared. I'm lonely, whatever. And I was like, sure. And she said, you know, I sleep in the nude. And, um, but I, I just want to sleep. And I was like, yeah, right. I get there. She greets me at the door. She opens the door. By the time I get into bed, she's passed out asleep, completely naked. And I just like, I'm like, I can't believe I just took an hour to get here because it's the F train. And, um, I just remember just taking a good look at her and thinking, I've fallen for this twice. <laughs> There's something wrong with me. And then I just went back to bed. I, I thought that was another funny, legit scene where it's like one part of you says, uh, oh, she doesn't want to sleep with you. And the other side says, well, why would she have you over? You know, you got to at least try. So I don't know. Heather, has that been an issue? Even though we've never met, if I can ask you about that. I would feel weird about being in, like, a teddy or being essentially naked and being like, hey, platonic man, cuddle with me in this weird, sexy outfit. (laughs) I've never done that to somebody. Um, I'm not going to judge anybody that's done it. I will say about that scene, I I thought I was kind of like Mike, where I'm like, this is, you know... I mean, like, if she was wearing, like, dirty sweatpants and, like, a Garfield t-shirt... Then I'd be like, okay, yeah, she's new to the city. She's just wanting some company. You know, maybe some creepy guy was following her earlier. You know, like, I could suspend my disbelief. But she's all wearing, like, this very pretty, like, blue sort of nighty and 
I thought that's weird. Not going to judge, but it's weird. But then, like, she's sleeping and he starts trying to touch her. And I'm like, okay, his dick's a gamer gator. Basically, his dick's a future. Like, if his, if his penis was a person now, it would have a fedora and a neck beard. Terrible. Terrible. He'd be, like, harassing women on Twitter. And then being like, I tip my hat to you, milady. Like that. That's terrible. But she also knows this guy's been a pig since she met him day one. Like... They don't mention that they she grabbed his foot, you know, when they're in the library when she meets him at work. I don't know if that's just because it's a plot device or it was an eighties thing or she just didn't feel comfortable or I don't know. It just seemed like a weird thing just to ignore, and then for her to be like, "Oh yeah, I'll go out with you." Yeah, I think there's supposed to be a lot more sexual politics going on with this. I mean, really, this could be a really good plot here to have. The way that she vacillates between Bert, maybe she finds him attractive at first, but then when she learns that he's only a peon at the business, and then, you know, she's going to go for Craig T. Nelson, who's the boss, but then Bert's on the upswing, so maybe she'll go for him. You know, it could have been an interesting character, like kind of a, you know, like a starfucker kind of a thing, but that just never really happens. And when she comes in and she finds Bert stripping Corazon, it's like, okay, is she upset? Is she not upset? What's going on here? And the way that he ends up, like, because the, the, the dick obviously just keeps talking to him and saying like, Hey, you need to fuck in order to have creativity and, you know, let, let's go out and let's fuck now. And there's one part where he's like, no, I really, I need to buckle down here. I need to work on this stuff. And then he ends up having sex with Corazon and then he is blowing off this really important meeting. And you would think that that would be immediate grounds for dismissal, but he ends up not getting fired for this it really is kind of strange like there are moments where like even earlier he's talking with eleanor and he refuses an advance by eleanor and you would think okay yeah now he's going to get fired no instead he ends up getting his own office it's like what is going on here so there are moments in the film that just don't i mean we're talking about a movie about a talking penis but you would think that still they would kind of abide by some sort of logic as far as you know if you punch somebody in the face then they're going to get mad but in this movie it doesn't necessarily act that way no there's a lot of things that get that don't really get explored that you think they would or maybe if they should have maybe this would have been a better movie like Adam, to your point, I thought that was kind of weird, too, that the whole, like, you know, when they meet officially, I kept thinking, okay, is she going to confront him about the weird foot thing? Or, you know, what? And it's like, no. And then, like, then, you know, not too long after that, she's like, oh, stay the night with me. And it's like, this dude just tried to put his foot in your area, which is gross. And, you know, because you don't know this man, you know where his foot's been. It's been sweating in a shoe in New York City. You don't want that in your business, girl. It's gross, you know? So that's, uh, I think that was just like one of my main, one of my many issues with this film is that there were so many things that could have been sort of further fleshed out. And like you said, Mike, the politics, you know, um, that just, it's kind of half-assed, you know? Yeah. I mean, this is a good time to speak about this 1988. I mean, I'm trying to think of when something like a working girl was, was out, but like the idea of, uh, 1988, actually. So it, it seems like this would have been a good time to talk about women's liberation and women's place in the office and made Janet almost more, more of the main character or Eleanor. But these three very 
what they should be strong women characters, Annette, Eleanor, and Janet, they end up just kind of falling by the wayside. And really, Bert's penis, who is an unseen character, basically, ends up taking center stage. So it's really an odd mix of things. Why does he trust him? Right. When the last time she met him, he was trying to put her foot foot up her skirt. Now she's like, oh, you'll sleep in my bed and not try anything. Yeah, she's a little foolish that way. She's good for plot. That's what she's like. What works to move this plot along? I'll do it. We never do, to your point, Heather, we never hear women's genitalia in this movie at all. And there's even a moment where right at the end of the film, the penis turns on his other superpower, which is to allow Bert to hear all of the other penises that are in the room. And I was thinking he's going to allow you to hear all the vaginas, but there's even one point in the movie where Bert asks the penis if women's vaginas talk as well. And he's like, I don't care. Wow. Okay. Thanks a lot. He's horrible. He's he's a terrible lover, that penis. Because like a good penis, I would think, would be all like, I want to hear my lovers. So, we, hey, we know. We're like, it's a communion. We are having a great time together. It is fantastic. And this guy is a total pump and dump. At least the, the character that is the actual pump and dumper, he's honest about who he is. That man knows who he is. You know, he's just like, hey, it is what it is. And, you know, yeah, don't tap that woman, but... He's giving you warning, you know, as opposed to Bert. But. He's literally a dick. <laughs> like, what a dick. Yes. So, yeah, he doesn't care. I thought that was even, I thought that was funny. Just that, yeah, you know, he, he just cares about himself. And, and, I don't know, is this the drop dead Fred for adults? Oh, but I love drop dead. See, if Rick Mayo had been the penis, I probably yes. would have found that funny. That's, I think that's what disconnect. And I'm actually, I'm glad you did bring up my, uh, my fantastic year because baker is good in that so but he's not this is not a good fit for him and if they had picked somebody funny because you can there are people that can pull off really crude unlikable characters to where they're still they're funny as hell i just don't think that's happening here there's that weird moment too where he exercises his demon where he takes uh one of the earliest uh known uh dick pics with a polaroid camera and then sets it on fire and that he doesn't hear from his dick after that until he tries to get it back. And he has to, the, the, in order to successfully get his penis back, he has to expose himself to this woman at church, which is sexual assault. I mean. And just also, uh, the, the one of the only black people in the movie teaches him voodoo all of a sudden. Like, ah, all right. That was weird. And she was a weird character too. I mean, I guess that scene where she hates him and then comes back and loves him. I guess because he was being, he started being a jerk and then she cared about him when he was at the bottom. I, I thought it was funny when he finally was able to exercise his demons and get rid of him and then he was a different person and then things worked out for him. Again, that's where I thought that part worked in the movie. Uh, I just remember when I came to a point where I was like, I don't know, I just kind of put my brain first and you just have a different, your whole world opens up. I was 19 years old. I went to a yoga retreat and they said, you, um, you do not have sex here. You do not, if you're a couple and you're married, please don't have sex. And if you're single and you're here, please do not have sex. And I think that was the first weekend since, you know, 13 that I did not think about sex and it just changed my whole life. And it was a totally different weekend. I did things because they seemed interesting, not because I was wondering if that can get me laid. So that's what that part made me think of just growing up and getting over it. I'm embarrassed I just exposed a lot about myself, 
in front of two people on Skype, but... Um, it happens to me all the time, usually with the camera on, though. I think that's kind of a universal experience, especially when you're developing, because those hormones are... Oh my, you know, they are large and in charge at that age. I mean, we've, you know, those, those of us who did come of age in the 80s and, and 90s, I mean, we we sat through a lot of bad movies on Cinemax for just a glimpse of nudity. I did it. I'm not ashamed. It's what you did back then. <laughs> we didn't have the it internet. It's a business model. <laughs> exactly. You paid $15 a month for a, a little glimpse. That's why kids knew how to set the timer on the VCR. That's true. Yeah, because I never found, I always heard about the, those like mythical piles of like dirty magazines in the woods. I never stumbled upon any, but I, I had uh, male friends that would tell me about finding like an old, old nudie mag. Going back to that whole idea, the, uh, the voodoo and stuff, I did like the one article that I read about this film where they were talking about how the penis being clothed, not being seen in this movie really helps protect Bert from castration anxiety. Because there is one point where he, it looks like he's contemplating castration, but then he goes for the camera thing. And the whole idea of capturing the, ca- the, the dick with the camera lens, uh, of just the Polaroid. And of course we don't see the Polaroid or anything. Uh, and then reversing the spell by exposing it to the, the woman who then also we don't see her POV, but you know, she's the one that's exposed to the, to the dick. So I liked that, uh, somebody actually was bringing that up as far as the power of, of the gaze in this film, because there's not a lot of scholarly articles that have been written about me and him over the years. Uh, unfortunately, though, I, I think that this movie does, like I said, it does talk a lot about sexual politics, albeit unsuccessfully, but it opens up where a lot of people's minds were in 88. But then again, I tend to overthink things. I think you just made a point that is so good that this film doesn't deserve it. <laughs> I'm so, Adam, I'm so sorry. I know you love this film and I'm, 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 I, I, I want to apologize if I'm being no pun intended a dick about it. Cause there's plenty of movies I love that I've, you know, that are definitely not fan favorites. <laughs> Oh, trust me. Next week, when when we talk about uh, Heaven, one of my co-hosts does not like that movie at all and basically goes on like a whole rant about the film for just about the entire running time of the podcast. So people at home, you have that to look forward to. What don't you like about the movie in terms of... No, I don't want to get again that because I'm not defending the film. I, I know it's a bad film, but I know watching again, it's like that movie Shock Corridor. It's a terrible film, but there's so many good parts in it. That you feel like it's a good film. But if I can talk about a bad part just for this, the filming of it, the actual cinematography, I guess that's her husband now. She met him, but it's terrible. It's like everything is dark. Even when they're in the park, it's dark. During the day, it's dark. In a bright room, it's dark. It's just weird. The bathroom, the, the fluorescent lights are dark. It's just a weird kind of feeling. I don't know. Did you guys get that kind of like CD kind of feeling from that film? It looked more like it was shot for television. That's how it kind of seemed to be, too. If it had looked properly seedy, I think it would have been a little more interesting to me. But, yeah, it just felt – that's that's the – I think that's the other thing that kind of hurt it is that even some of the technical elements – because I didn't, I didn't even like the music. No, it's bad, too. The, yeah, and it is very – the music is kind of like cheesy TV. There is – Mike, you just nailed something, like, for me. I think because that's – a lot of this is very just kind of like TV TV tropes. But not good TV, <laughs> like bad TV tropes. And, um, you yeah, know, which is, I mean, which is too bad. Yeah, there's, 
for whatever reason, speaking of music, there's that instrumental version of Strangers in the Night that plays a couple times in here, and I think there might be a vocal version later. And I don't necessarily understand why it's Strangers in the Night. Um, it doesn't necessarily play into what's happening on screen, but, and then we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about the end scene in just a, a moment here, but, Wow. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, I did want to talk again about the, the moment when the dick allows him to hear all of these other dicks speaking. I don't know if it came through in the movie, but there's, in the script, there's this whole thing about how one of his coworkers is gay and he doesn't necessarily know it until he hears the dick talking about it, which again would have opened up a little bit more stuff. And I think, that we're supposed to get that from a line that one of the dicks says about, um, or one of the, the people actually says that, uh, you can't even smell the fish anymore. And then the other guy says, I hate that smell. And I think that's supposed to be the gay guy as if implying he doesn't like vagina. Yeah, that's what I got. Yeah, hearty, hard, hearty. See, this, I'm, I'm trying not to be mean. I'm so, and I know you talked to the director, and I'm, she sounds lovely. And I just, uh, that, that was awful. That was another awful thing. Like, get it? He's gay. When fish, uh, I don't know. It's just, it just, uh, yeah. See, I would have, there's so much potential in this film, though. There was so much potential. Maybe that is what upsets me, because I think, Mike, you once said, the most brilliant thing ever, because you once told me the worst movie in the world is one that only the filmmaker and their mother has seen. I think that's very true. I don't even know if I can take credit for that. That might have been Skiz that said that one first. I'm gonna get, I'll give it to you until Skiz corrects me. <laughs> I'll give it to both of you because he's cool too. But um, so yeah, I mean there there's potential, but there's like pregnant potential in the whole film. Like there's you know. And yeah, what if the ladies, what if all of a sudden he could hear, like, the women talk, too, and it could be kind of like a cool eye-opening thing? That's a good point. Like, he can't... Great. So I have the superpower where you can hear other dicks talk. So how does that help me? How does that... If you're trying to get laid, how does that help him if he's not gay? And he says, all right, can you hear women's body parts talk? No, who wants to hear that? I do! That's what makes it a good superpower. This is a lame superpower. <laughs> You know, I can open jars. Fantastic. I can open jars. It's not a superpower. I assume what other people's dicks are thinking. I don't, you know, it doesn't help me at all get laid at all. I don't know. If it, it felt like they were just filling time the second time I watched it. I think the first time I just thought it was fascinating. But just recently when I watched it for this, it seemed like they were like, what else can we do? Uh, okay. What else? You know, what else? What else? We got, we're up to 88 minutes. We need 90 minutes. What else can we do? Well, I'll tell you what else you can do, Adam. How about we have a musical number? Controversial. I liked it. It's okay to like it. How else do you end a film about a talking penis but with a musical number? Let's have all of, and apparently all of these women are secretaries at the new Utanzi Tower, which obviously is dick-shaped, though to me it looks more like a tube of lipstick with the lipstick coming out of the top. And that's not supposed to be like a dog dick joke or anything. But yeah, these women are supposed to be secretaries and they start singing the Bob Marley classic, No Woman, No Cry. And then they start to build up and start doing like dances and it's all choreographed and everything. And that's how we end the movie. And yeah, to your point, I don't really know how else you could end a movie like this. Right. They're just like, let's go crazy and just do it. But 
I don't know why they chose the secretaries. That made me seem weird. Like they're all objects of just women you you sleep with. Is that what they're saying? And why are they saying no woman, no cry? I'm not sure. But it, you know, like the end of Slumdog Millionaire, there's that great Bollywood dance thing, like with men and women and characters in the movies and and not. That might have been better. I don't know how you could necessarily make it a worse ending. It's the nicest thing you've ever said. Well, thank you. On one hand, I was like, this is terrible. But then another part of me kind of like almost sort of respected it just for the, you know, just kind of surrealist move. Like this kind of just almost kind of Dada move of an ending. And so I, I'll give it props for that. Um, the musical choice I don't get. Um, that was, but I don't know. There's a lot, there's a lot of lack of logic in this universe of me and him. <laughs> so that won't question it too much. Uh, uh, interesting. All right, guys, let's go ahead and take a break. And we're going to play an interview with director Doris Dury. And we'll be back with that right after these brief messages. Hello from cinema Detroit. We are Metro Detroit's only truly independent cinema and also the only first-run, seven-day-a-week movie theater in greater downtown. We deliver an eclectic mix of mainstream, art, indie, genre, cult, and classic movies in the heart of the city. Like a sommelier choosing wine or a DJ mixing a set, we handpick our slate of films, many of which are exclusive to the metro area, the state of Michigan, or the entire Midwest region. Cinema Detroit features a unique setting in a former furniture store and a warm neighborhood atmosphere, including always fresh popcorn, Detroit-made Fago soda, and other locally created treats. Please visit our website, cinemadetroit.org, for the latest features and showtimes. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. We look forward to seeing you soon at 4126 3rd Street in the city, 48201. Hey. Hello. A little bit of introduction. We are the Film Room Cast. I am Albert Weltfong. I am Austin Shin. And we talk about movies. We just we talk about anything we like to our heart's content. We talk about everything from the very best films ever made to the very worst. <laughs> and we have Scrape the bottom of the barrel on the worst ones. It's it's not what you'd expect, either. No, no, no. We are the uh, kind of cast for which Birdemic is a step above some of the stuff we've covered. I hesitate to say this, but the room is a little bit higher than some of the stuff we've covered. But on the other hand, we've also covered stuff like The Godfather, Magnolia. We've covered the very best cinema has to offer, the very worst, so don't try to pigeonhole us. And, of course, we like to talk about the hot-button topics. We try not to get too political, but we take a political stance. We're people. We have to. We have a huge backlog. We've been running for about three years. We've got casts on the MPAA. We've got stuff on, like, adaptations. We've got stuff on movies that have been turned into TV shows. A couple of nostalgia retrospectives looking at things like movie theaters and video stores. Proud of those ones. And we've even got at least one cast on a movie that doesn't exist, so <laughs> got that. Oh yeah, with, uh, with more to come. So that's us. That's us. Uh, so yeah, listen to The Film Room. 
have to credit the backtrack. It is from John Carpenter's album Lost Themes. I suggest picking up that album. It's a really great album. But yeah, you can find us at thefilmroom.podbean.com or on iTunes if you prefer to subscribe there. We're out there. Yeah. Thank you all. Hope you listen to us and good night. All right. Let me ask you a question. Are you getting enough? I bet you'd love more, right? Well, AdamandEve.com wants to give you more with 10 free gifts. First, you'll get a sexy surprise for her. Second, a specially selected toy for him. And third, a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus, you'll get six full-length adult movies on DVD. And number 10, free shipping on your entire order. So what do you have to do to get your 10 free gifts? It's not hard. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy, sexy piece of lingerie, or anything you desire. Just enter offer code BOOTH at checkout, and you'll get all 10 free gifts. Go check out adamandeve.com today. Select one item and get 10 free gifts, including free shipping when you enter offer code BOOTH. That's B-O-O-T-H at adamandeve.com. Hi, this is Andrew from We Hate Movies, and you're listening to The Projection Booth. If you feel like laughing after listening to some serious film discussion, head on over to our show, whmpodcast.com. Every Tuesday, a new episode drops, us ragging on bad movies, where the good folks here at The Projection Booth are talking about good, hearty, cinema-related stuff. Go here for the cinema. Come to us for the laughs afterwards. We Hate Movies every Tuesday. I know that you were born in Germany. How did you end up going to school in the United States? In Stockton, of all places. Yeah. Because of a movie by John Huston. And I hope you know that movie. It's called Fat City. Oh, yeah. We just did that recently. (laughs) Really? Okay. If you can imagine a 17 or 16-year-old in Hanover, Germany, watching the movie Fat City and then deciding to go to Stockton to go to school there. Yeah, that's um, only a a juvenile mind <laughs> can pick a city like Stockton because, as you know, Fat City is um, it takes place in a in a completely run down town, which is Stockton. But because I loved the movie so much, I figured, or I don't know what I what I thought really, but I just wanted to go to that town, Stockton. And then, it, funny coincidence, there was a theater group they performed in Hanover. And they happened to be from the University of the, uh, of the Pacific in Stockton. So these two things came together. And then I thought, well, that's it. Stockton, it is. But you didn't go into movie making right away. No, no. It was too far out there somehow. I didn't think it was possible at all to become a director. But to become an actress was something that was much more imaginable, much more possible. But then I realized very soon that I, I was never going to be a good actress because uh, I'm way too shy to you know, stand up on a, on a stage and perform. But yet as a director, you have to be behind the scenes pretty much doing a performance. 
Oh, yes, very well put. That's true. But it's still not your body that you have to put out there. That's something very different. Well, when did you decide to become a director and to get more into filmmaking? Well, I dropped out of school in California, went to New York City, studied a bit of strange things at the new school, like semantics and semiotics and a bit of psychology and I don't know what. And then I wanted to go to film school to NYU, and it turned out to be way too expensive. So my mother, she kept sending me the application forms for the um, the film school in Munich, and I didn't fill them out for about a year. And then I had to give up in New York because I couldn't make a living, I couldn't go to school, and it was just too hard. So I gave in and gave up and filled out those forms and got accepted at the Munich Film School, which... It turned out to be a blessing for me because I'm really a writer more than maybe a filmmaker. And it was the perfect disguise for me to be writing screenplays. And then you have other people say the lines and dialogue and turn it into something else, a movie. So was your mom being supportive or was she being more get back here to Germany? She was just being supportive. I have the most liberal parents. Oh, that's wonderful. I know that you were making movies pretty early on. I mean, you were pretty young when you were making your first films. I was 21, yeah. I always thought that I had to hurry up and be fast, which, of course, has to do with the fact that I have three sisters, and I just knew that my parents had to pay for their education as well. But I just knew that I had to be fast with you know, finishing my education. Which came first, the short story of men or the film of men? The short story. Since nobody taught screenwriting in Germany, it was just unheard of because of the author's theory of filmmaking. I just tried to invent a kind of writing that I, that I could use for screenwriting, which meant that in prose, writing in the first person... I could get into people's heads and souls. I discovered that for myself as a way to write my screenplays, to write short stories first, get to know the characters, and then write a screenplay. Because I didn't know the technique of screenwriting, not as a craft, because it was not being taught. So that was my way of yeah, writing screenplays, which then turned out to be another blessing because in, I think it was in, oh, that was before I shot Me and Him, I think, in 87, did I shoot it in 87 or 86? I can't even remember. A publisher, the, the best publisher in, in the German language, contacted me and wanted to see those short stories. And ever since then, this company, he died seven years ago, uh, became my publishing house. And um, he encouraged me to write novels and short stories and not just as a means to write screenplays. So you know, to separate these two things, prose and screenplay writing. Now, from what I understand, Men was a really big hit. Men was a very, very small movie that we did on a shoestring. It cost $400,000. And I turned in my salary, and for the money that they would have paid me, I bought 35 millimeters instead of 16, so we could shoot in 35. So that was my investment in the film, because I, I just wanted it to, to be shown on a big screen. And in reverse, I got not the rights to anything, but they allowed me to show the film once at a festival, just once. And that turned out to be the whole film festival, a tiny festival. And it 
became such a smash hit at the festival that then the distributor decided to distribute it with, I think, five prints. And it just, yeah, it became this gigantic hit. Those elevators. I've never seen elevators like that before. They're still around. They're called Pater Nostra, Pater Nostrum elevators. And they're actually a really smart, energy-conserving energy, um, what's the word, um, elevators. They run mechanically, so they don't need electricity. They run mechanically. And in those old office buildings, you still have them. Were those in the short story, or did you come up with that later? No, no, I came up with that later. That happened to be the elevator in the building of a biggest uh, newspaper, Süddeutsche Zeitung, that I was still working for as a film critic. And I was always terrified jump into the cabins of those of that elevator because you never really knew who you were going to meet up with because you had just just it, it, when the cabin comes you have to just jump right into it and i was terrified of you know getting into the same cabin with my boss which was really embarrassing so after men is such a big hit i mean what happens for you i became very famous which is very scary yeah because you know, when you're not prepared for it or not out for it either, it was just something that I found very difficult to deal with because I was living in a commune. Nobody had money. I didn't make any money with the film. The producers became millionaires. It was all a bit strange, to say the least. And then, you know, it also became quite absurd because in my commune, the telephone kept running, uh, kept ringing, and um, people from Hollywood would call and. The people in the commune got really upset because the phone was ringing mostly at night because of the time difference, and they refused to answer the phone after a while. So we got an answering machine. That was the first big investment <laughs> for those calls from Hollywood because nobody wanted to answer the phone in the middle of the night. And then I I became very wary of, um, yeah... Everybody, of course, wanted to do a sequel or wanted me to do something similar, and I didn't want that at all. So I turned around and made a really strange, strange film after that called Paradise. And then the biggest German producer, Bernd Eichinger, who has always been very generous with praise, and he had called me up right after the, the big success of Men and had congratulated me and had wanted to find a project together for me or together. And then he found Aibato Moravia, Io Elui, me and him, which was a smart move on his side, but it didn't really fit. I hate the movie, but it was a big hit. I can't stand it. It is one of the very few films that I adapted. I think I only adapted two movies, that one and a German crime story, detective story. And I never, never really got inside the characters. It was a commercial idea. And frankly, the only reason why I accepted to do that was because I wanted to go back to New York and see my, my friend, my woman friend from college, my best friend. And that was my ticket to go back to New York and see my friends. <laughs> that was more important to me than anything. And the movie got me married because I, I got married to the DP who... Again, you know, it was an old friend of mine, and he had shot men, and he was the only person that I was allowed to take with me to the United States. So the movie did pay for me, you know, because I got married to 
with the most wonderful man in the world. But as a movie, I don't think it's a good movie. It's a strange turn for you, though I guess I can see as far as looking at gender politics that there is a little bit of a dotted line between men and me and him. Yes, but then, you know, the the original novel was all about anarchism versus opportunism or versus, well, in, in those times it was really about anarchism. Yeah, I can only repeat myself. And it was not about gender politics. It wasn't about that. It was about a political movement. And that, of course, got very much um, watered down in, in this movie version because Brand Eichinger and David Putnam, Columbia Pictures, they wanted the whole thing to be not political. That turned out to be a big fight between them and me, between Eichinger, Putnam, and myself, because I didn't want to be pushed into the sexual connotations of the whole thing as much as it is now. But anyway, it became a big struggle, really, really awful struggle, which, again, you know, I was not used to because before and after, I've always just made the movies the way I wanted to make them. And that was the only time where I had to negotiate and, and discuss again and again and again the content of the film and you know every line of the film and so on and so forth. What was more your original vision for it? Well, it was much more anarchistic, much more free-floating. It was not as as commercial. But of course, I mean, the producer, Van Eichinger, he was right in the end, you know, seeing this, the whole thing from his perspective, because the film made a lot of money. Which I guess is kind of the name of the game, but at the same time, you want to make something that you can enjoy and that you can look back on and be proud of. Well, the name of the game for me is something completely different. It's not about making money. I can make money working at McDonald's, which I did at that time still. You know, I worked for five years at McDonald's to be independent and to just make the films that I wanted to make and write the stories that I want to write. And I'm still doing it that way. I mean, now I can, I cannot live of filmmaking, but I can live off. Yeah, I'm a professor. I teach. I have a, I have, I'm the head of the chair of creative, the creative writing department. Um, I write my novels and short stories. I make a, a movie every two years. The combination works for me, but my movies are still completely independent. Well, my newest one just came out last week. <laughs> it's more experimental and, and wilder than anything that I've done before. It's called Cherry Blossoms and Demons, if you want to look it up. Cherry Blossoms and Demons. It must have been really weird for you, too, to be working on Me and Him and have it be pretty much American crew and then all of these American actors. It must have been such a difference between what you had been used to. Yes, and the biggest difference was that everybody was afraid. Afraid of getting fired, the actors afraid of, of doing the wrong career move. Griffin Dunn was terrified that that was the wrong move for him in his career. And it's maybe hard to explain to you where we were coming from. Filmmaking was not a career. It was something that you did when you were completely insane and out of your mind and an artist, but not a career. And we were very fearless because of that, because we didn't want to get anywhere. We just wanted to do our thing. It was more like punk music where we were coming from. It was not a business. It was not a career. It was not about making money. It was strictly about making art. 
or yeah, doing your thing. And again, can only compared to punk music, do the right thing, <laughs> Spike Lee. So that was a big class, of course, because in in the states, of, you know, filmmaking is a business, and people were doing a job, which for us was just very, very weird to be in the in the in film business again. You know, in the film business to be making films as a job, nah. You did it because you were outside of society because you wanted to yeah, do something very, very different. Did me and him do anything for you as far as your career, or did that just not even matter for you? It did lead to a couple of interesting decisions because um, I got a five-picture deal with Columbia Pictures, and I found myself you know, sitting in, in Hollywood and waiting, like, like almost everybody, waiting for... Uh, projects get greenlighted, waiting for meetings, waiting for all kinds of things, which again, you know, I was not used to because that's not the way things are done here. You somehow just do them. <laughs> and if you don't have the money, you still just do them sort of. It, it's very, very different. I was making money, but I was waiting around and I was not really doing my thing anymore. So after about, I think, a year of that, or maybe even less, my husband and I, we decided to go back. And also, what I found really disconcerting was that I was losing my language. I couldn't write in German anymore. I couldn't write in English because I felt too insecure writing in English. And I somehow lost my my ground, my my language. So to go back was really the right decision because I don't think I could have written my my stories my novels my short stories if i had stayed on in in los angeles and also i couldn't have made the films that i i have made never ever i couldn't have done you know all the stuff that i started doing since 1999 uh where i shot a, a movie in a zen monastery in japan and i discovered the digital technique you know moving around with very small crews and very small cameras I couldn't have done that either, which to me is, is the ideal way of, way of filmmaking. I've never worked differently ever since. Well, yeah, you said you're making a movie, what, every two years now? Yeah. Well, for the past 40 years, or 35, yeah, almost 40 years, yeah. How do you go about funding those? Or do you get funding through uh, the German state? or? Do you- yes, it's a combination. It's the It's the way that the only way, and we all have to go the same down the same path. It's a combination of um, trying to get TV money, which is the most difficult, but also the most important part because it's connected to then being able to apply for funds. You need TV money first to be able to apply for funds then. So you need a, a TV output deal for your film. Then you can apply for funds, and then you can apply for state funds, but also for uh, local funds like the Bavarian Film Foundation. And then you try to combine it with a general state foundation or another state within the union, you know, within Germany with Hamburg Film Foundation. It's a very complicated, time-consuming way, but it's also quite efficient for a certain kind of films. It's impossible to raise big budgets that way, but you can get your films made, smaller films, like um, I I never go beyond three million euros as a budget. I have to tell you, I saw Happy Birthday Turk, and I really like that. Oh, thank you, thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's the 
only other film that I adapted from from a novel and never adapted anything else. Not true, not true. Bliss, but it was Bliss. It was different because I wrote the screen and the screenplay was very very different from the short story. Well, I noticed that when you got back to Germany after Me and Him, that you uh, did one of your own short stories as an adaptation with money. Yeah, right. Which got remade in Korea and China. Really? <laughs> yeah. Did you see those? What were they like? No. No, I never saw them. Oh, I am curious. With uh, Me and Him, did you ever watch the Italian version of that? No, never. It's it's not an easy Is watch. Is there one? Yes. Io e Lui, I think it's called. Yeah, that's the title of the novel, yeah. From 73, from I think. Oh, wow. I didn't even know. I didn't even know there existed. Are you sure? Because I talked to Moravia, the, the author of the novel. Yeah, I'll send you a link. It's on YouTube right now. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. That sounds interesting. And it's unwatchable, you're saying, or difficult to watch? It's a little difficult to watch. I mean, just the, you know, the sexual politics of Italy in the early 70s were not as enlightened as maybe they could have been. Oh, no, certainly not. <laughs> but how interesting. But nobody ever told me. And before the internet, there was no way to find out. But even Moravia didn't tell me. Oh, wow. I don't think anybody knew. Van huh. Eichinger I certainly didn't know. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, and yeah, it's it very is. close to it because I'm I'm reading uh, to a phallic novel right now and seeing, you know, it's it's lining up scene per scene. Oh, okay, all right. Oh, that really sounds interesting. Well, thank you so much for for the time today. I really appreciate this. I'm I'm hoping maybe we can talk again sometime. That you are uh, your career is just. So fascinating, and um, I've only been able to track down a handful of movies so far, but everything I've seen, I've really enjoyed. Thank you so much. Thank you, and thank you for your work. I mean, it's you're the salt of the earth. You know, people who love movies and are interested in in finding out more about them and the filmmakers. And thank you so much for that. Oh, can we talk about real quick Griffin Dunn? Why he didn't do the show? Your show? <laughs> sure, sure. Let me see if I can find that exact email so I don't misquote him here. So you reached out to him himself or his people? Yeah, because Griffin actually was on the show. He was on uh, our Chili Scenes of Winter. Yeah, and uh, I so I have his email address and I reached out to him. I was like, "Hey, you want to be on this?" And he said. Making this movie was a low point in my career, and nothing would thrill me more than if the whole experience was forgotten. Podcast away, but not with me. And I love the way that that interview ends, where our director didn't know that this was actually a remake or adapted from a book. Uh, It had already been adapted, let's say, as a film called Ioi Louie. 
And uh, I don't know if you guys got a chance to watch this. This is uh, one of my favorite things where I love to drop movies in Dropbox that have no English subtitles to be found ever. We just did this on uh, the Body Double episode with a Bollywood version of Body Double. But here we have an Italian comedy, which is kind of the same story, but a little bit different. I watched part of that. Actually, what I what I could see, obviously, my... Um my Italian is not that, it's not really that good, <laughs> but, um, but I'm like you, Mike, I kind of like, sometimes it's kind of fun to watch a movie, um, without the subtitles just because, I mean, film's a visual medium just makes you kind of work a little harder as a viewer, which I'm, I'm down with, but, uh, it looked better than me and him. I mean, the print, you know, obviously the print we all had access to wasn't, wasn't the great, but that's nobody's fault. It's just, you know, the nature of it, but like, there was obviously some weird colors and composition and nudity. Oh, why don't you tell me? What about tomorrow? <laughs> I just watched the opening credits. I was like, all right, he's a director. I get it. And I felt like what I, what I saw of it, I kind of gathered that I felt like there's a little more of a nod to female sexuality, too, um, which I thought was cool because, like, the, the female sexuality in me and him just seems very uh, utilitarian. You know, it's kind of like the women that are kind of like, ooh, Bert, just, I mean, they have about as much, they don't even seem like they're really that turned on by him. It's just kind of, they're like, like a video game character, more so than like a person, um, which I'm fine with if the film had been completely just like an Andy Sidaris film and gone that route, that would have worked, but, <laughs> but it obviously didn't. But um, what did you think about uh, Io e Louis? I watched the opening and then uh, some of the scenes and, yeah, it, it looked, you know, leave it to the Italians to put nudity in a movie about sex. Thank you for that, Italians. Uh, not that hard. I love that at the beginning, he's practically drowning in pubic hair. That was pretty neat. Yeah, that was a little much. Yeah, I, I, I watched some, but I didn't get too much into it. But I thought uh, I thought it was interesting that the director, had, right, hadn't heard of the, that it was a movie. Like, why didn't anyone tell her that there was another movie based on this book? Uh, I was waiting for her to tell you I didn't that she didn't even know it was a book. <laughs> yeah, at least she had met Moravia and, and knew about Tuafalic novel. The movie is actually pretty faithful to Moravia's book. It begins almost the exact same way with our main character having this dream and this uh, woman. Uh, apparently, it's it ends up being his wife, her crotch, and he just does not want to have sex with his wife. And in this one. In the book, at least, the wife is a lot heavier. She's had his child. It's that whole, I don't want to have sex with my wife after she's had our kid and that she's put on a little bit of weight, that kind of thing. So she does not look, in the book, nearly as attractive as Ellen Green. The woman who is in the movie, I think she is very attractive. So again, it's one of these problems as far as like, hey, you have this really attractive woman here. Why aren't you interested in her anymore? So that's always problematic. Uh, and he ends up humiliating her in Eo and Louis and also in the book where he makes her act like a cow. And then rather than having sex with her after he makes her act like a cow for whatever reason, he just ends up leaving her. So there are a lot of beats that are similar between the film and the book. Um, and yeah, I, I was amazed Heather at how much of my Italian came back as I was watching this. I was very happy with myself. Wait, he made the the wife 
moo like a cow? Yeah. Or the No, that was the wife. his wife. Weird. Yeah. The scene of her dressed up more like a schoolgirl that wasn't in the book that might have been later on in the book, but yeah, it goes from like her dressed as a schoolgirl to her mooing like a cow and then him leaving her and humiliating her. And to Doris's point, there was a lot more idea of communism in the book and in the movie too, which was interesting. And there's a scene also, which I appreciated where the director, the screenwriter, he's a screenwriter who wants to be a director and is trying to find that perfect screenplay. He's trying to get inspiration in this way and where he allows the dick to use his mouth in so far as he allows the dick to talk through him. And there's a scene of him seducing a woman with the dick's voice, which I found interesting. So if that's a, you know, that, that would be another superpower that the dick could have had in me and him, but they opted to not go that way. That's fascinating. See that? <laughs> I mean, granted, I don't know if I want to see Mark Lynn Baker's voice come out of Griffin time. <laughs> but, but also like that, that would have made sense. That would have helped the plot along, not just like I can hear other penises talk. I can I can name women's names. <laughs> the penis again trying to kill time. I was like I can do the name game. Doris, Boris, V. Boris, Savannah, Savannah, V. Boris. Uh, he's just like the penis starts reciting a uh, dirty limericks or something. Just like we're at eighty nine minutes, we're almost at ninety. Come on, what do you got? Yeah, I had it said. Let me take over for a little while and give it over to the dick and just let the dick have the voice. I think that would have been kind of an interesting thing and at the end of the day after watching both of these movies i all i can say is why don't these guys beat their meat a little bit more that's all the penis is asking for is a little attention that's all that's all he's saying we'll see and there's so much potential humor with that too because you can have like where the penis is like needing a break and he's like oh god not again like no dude no and you know it's like it's i don't know i've taken it probably to a weird place but we're talking about talking penises it's already there so <laughs> but yeah there's no masturbation which is that's that is really weird because that's a pretty human human trait and there's a lot you can do with comedy with that well, and he does find uh, in in uh, Iwi Louie, there's that same sleep with me scene that we we're talking about, the, the thing that Adam actually got to experience. In that scenario, it plays out that he wakes up the next morning and the woman is masturbating. So it's like, oh, okay. And it, so it would have been kind of almost more of a dirtier trick, Adam, had you woken up and that woman that you weren't sleeping with was there, you know, jacking off without you. It's like, ah, I could have been a part of this. Yeah, that would have been a terrible thing to wake up to. How dare you? (laughs) The worst. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Iwi Louie was really hard to find for a lot of years because did I know about that movie? I don't know if I knew about that movie or if I just couldn't find that movie when I wrote an article about Talking Genitals a few years ago for Paracinema Magazine because that that was like the – it took me – probably like three years after I wrote that piece until I finally got my hands on that movie. But yeah, I watched a lot of talking dick movies uh, and talking vagina movies while I was doing my research for that to the point where when you brought this movie up, Adam, I was just like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with this one. (laughs) That's so weird. The only way you would know about it is someone paid you to watch it or told you to watch it. No, I volunteered for that, you know. (laughs) <laughs> I, it was one of those things where I was looking around on my shelves here at home and I was just like, 
man, I've got a lot of talking vagina and talking penis movies here. So I should. Are probably... they American films mostly, or are they foreign? A lot of French films. Uh, there are two French films uh, called Pussy Talk. And then there's Chatterbox, which is a U.S. film, and that's where the the vagina is more of a um, kind of more like a vaudeville type humor kind of a thing. But I, what I really found interesting is that penises only talk to the people that own them, but vaginas talk for the whole world to hear. So in all of the Talking Vagina movies, everyone can hear those vaginas. And in T- Pussy Talk 2, the vaginas actually are staging a little bit of a revolt and they want to take over uh, the world, which I found to be kind of a nice thing. Uh, Chatterbox is more comedic, but it still has some funny moments. And then I can't remember if people can hear Lulu's talking asshole, but I wouldn't necessarily consider that a talking genital film. Oh, my, come on. That's, it's just Franco. It's Lena Romay. It's called Lulu's Talking Asshole. Just knowing that exists makes my heart happy for some reason. And, and your article was brilliant, by the way. And I hope you, I hope you can link to it when you post this because it's, it's a fantastic article. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It was brown eye opening. And a little Oscar joke. I don't, I don't think we should spoil it. We want people to read the article. But your little Oscar joke in the piece about that was very funny. Yeah. And then this whole idea of a talking penis has been done a few other times. There was a, what, Thai film called Talking Dick. There was, uh, two German films. Uh, one, the first one is called Ants in the Pants. And I don't remember what the second one was called, but it was renamed Porky's College or something like that. And then the first one got renamed as Porky's College 2, which made no sense that the the first one followed the second one. But these movies are from all over the world. I was very happy to find the uh, Thai version, the, the, the Talking Dick movie. So, yeah, the, these are familiar things. And then there, um, I while I was doing my research, finding... Uh, going back all the way to, gosh, I want to say like the 1800s, there's a, a book called, uh, The Indiscreet Jewels, which was about the, um, the women around the court of one of the Louis, you know, Louis the 15th or 16th, and that all of their genitals could talk. And then I think, Heather, you and I were talking a little bit offline as far as one of my other favorite talking penis movies is the, um, uh, the film Marquis, which is the, the whole story of Marquis de Sade, all told through puppets. And there's a talking penis in that, which ends up getting, uh, I think the Marquis ends up fucking a wall with his penis, which was pretty great. Oh, that movie's amazing. I, um, that's not available on Blu-ray in this country. And it really should be because, um, Marquis is, it is a sight to behold, especially because his, his penis, like the puppet penis is so cute. He, like he's got this little face, this little petite face. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm Sean. Like, I saw that in high school and I was, it blew my mind. Yeah, Marquis should be out. That's, um, God, that's, now that's a great film. I, this, we should have been talking about Marquis. <laughs> Wait, is Mark Lynn Baker in Marquis? I'm sorry. It's Craig T. Nelson and Marquis. Oh, I, I do like okay. well, no, Do they waste David Allen Greer and Marquis? I think I actually mentioned Marquis, gosh, probably about a year and a half ago because we were doing The Tenant, which was written by Roland Topor. And Topor 
ended up doing some puppet work, uh, doing some some writing of other things with this uh, guy Henri, and I'm going to screw up his last name, but Jono or something. It's X H O N N E A U, and then they decided to work on this movie together. So Tapor, who wrote The Tenant and um, and uh, and many many other things, who was part of the Panic Movement with. Uh, Hodorowski. Oh, Hodorowski, yeah. baby, yeah. So, yeah, back then, uh, he was, you know, doing this stuff and then ended up in 1989 putting out Marquis. So it's got a good pedigree. Got the best pedigree. I mean, it's, it's Marquis de Sade and puppets. I mean, I don't know what else could sell somebody on a film. That's Jeffrey Rush. He, yeah, he did an okay job, but he's not a, he doesn't have a talking penis. No, it's been a talking, adorable, weirdly adorable penis. It's so, it's so cute, but you're like, this is a penis. This is, <laughs> it's just a, it's like a pokey penis, like a Pokemon penis. It's adorbs. So I did have one weird question for you guys, which is, and I've always been fascinated by this. Do you guys have names for your genitals? Because I know some people name their genitals, which I've always found to be strange. But if if you do have names, I'm not casting judgment on you. Uh, I don't. I don't know. There's one thing uh, I can admit to. I wish I did, but we make it funnier. I did have a name for my cell phone. Uh, does that help? Well, I was on a date with someone. It was back when you had flip phones, and she put in my name, Prince Adam. And I was like, oh, no. And she thought she was being funny. And I wrote back, no, King Speaks was my last name. And then and we laughed about it. And she's like, oh, you think you're the king? And then I left myself. And then I was in a meeting in my boss's office with 10 other people. And he calls me back in. And I was like, yeah, he goes, you left your cell phone in here. And I was like, oh, sorry about that. He goes, and right when I get to the door, he says, King Speaks. <laughs> so I might as well have called my penis that. Heather, how about yourself? Esther Roll. No, I'm joking. Wow. <laughs> no, I'm damn, joking. damn, damn. <laughs> oh, James. James. Um, I'm going to get haunted by her now. <laughs> it's like, you bitch. <laughs> Did you make a joke about naming your vagina after me? <laughs> uh, no, no, I don't. The naming thing, I don't. Again, hey, you know, no judgment on anybody. It's, um, I'm good. I just, you know. Take care of you. Take care of your body. You don't need to name specific parts of it. <laughs> Heather, I know it is a thing for some guys to name their genitals. Have you ever heard of a lady naming her genitals? Okay, I'm having a memory <laughs> come back to me. I'm trying to remember what it was because a friend of mine in college, she was hanging out with a girl that she was bartending with, and this girl uh, was, I guess, kind of crazy and. Like, my friend was telling me about how this girl had this one-night stand with a guy, and she scared him off because she kept talking to his dick. And she kept calling her her lady part a name, and it was, I guess, too heavy of a scene for her. <laughs> but I can't remember. I don't remember what she called it. Well, it depends yeah, what she called it, right? Like, if she called it something Esterol or something cute, like this one thing, but she's like, come on, Hitler. Get, <laughs> get inside me, Satan. Yeah. yeah, little Mussolini's waiting for you, baby. Yeah, no, I am. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he was. Um, come on, Hitler, get in my, my Poland. Come. I'm going to give it up. <laughs> oh, that's I made not, the belt. Yes. That's not, no, that's not right. Um, <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember. It was something like, 
It, I just remember it being the name of something you would give to it, like a fluffy dog, like mm. a little poodle dog. Like, I can't remember what it was, though. It was weird. Um, no judgment, but you, you probably, if you're having a one-night stand with somebody, you probably want to make that a second night stand or third night stand kind of introduction. <laughs> wow. So, tips for the listeners. Don't get freaky till the second night. That's right. All right, we're going to take another break and play a preview for next week's show. On the surface, Robert Marling had everything a man could want. No matter what happens, I want you to remember that I love you. Okay. But underneath it all, there was a world that intrigued him. Down here, I'm the chairman of the board. How can you be friends with a man like Stanner? You don't even know him. Seduced him. I've got 24 hours. Bet it all. And robbed him of everything he had. Can you say it yet? My name's Robert Marling. I'm a gambling addict. Now. He saved me. Saved you? He could have run. He didn't. He's about to get some help from a most unlikely place. No one believed I could see things. What do you see? Things that will happen. A psychic named Heaven. What's going to happen tonight? Your standards, good luck, child. Good luck, child. I haven't seen anything. Don't lie to me! I don't like it! Stanley is going to be bluffing on his last hand. Do you have any money? we got to do this exactly how I discussed it. And I keep seeing 4 a.m. You can win, but only by 4. God help us. That's right. We'll be back next week with a look at the 1998 film Heaven. Until then, I want to thank this week's co-hosts, Adam and Heather. Adam, what is the latest with you, sir? Proudly Resents uh, is my podcast. I have podfaded for a while. There's a lot of – did over 200 episodes, so don't judge me. Um, there's some great interviews and great reviews. Just go through and look at it. You can email me and ask me which ones I recommend at reachadamandmac.com. But um, And love to hear what kind of movies you – cult movie. It's about – Bad movies that we love and why we love them and why they're so good and why you should watch them. And then we interview people who made them, including the the crazy guy, I'm sorry, Alan, who made um, Dubidio and uh, Bobcat Goldthwait talks about uh, Shakes a Clown. And I just did an interview with um, Stuttering John, which has nothing to do with movies, but I'm putting that up so there'll be something new for all you people who have listened to every episode of my show. But uh, if you check it out, just look through the titles and see something you like. That's not fun. That's not funny. That's the best one, right? It's not fun. It's not funny. It's not funny. It's not fun. And Heather, what's going on in your world? Well, um, I recently got to record a joint film commentary for Vinegar Syndrome special release of Andy Milligan's masterpiece, Fleshpot on 42nd Street with the ultra-fabulous Kat Ellinger and Sam Deacon. So I'm very excited about that. Um, and also, you could read both my tips and tricks against falling for clickbait and hot takes, as well as my uh, my perusal into music video history land with uh, Visage's Mind of a Toy, which is directed by Godly and Cream. And you can read that and more over at Diabolique magazine.com 
Well, thank you again, guys, for being on the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Please head on over to the website, projectionboothpodcast.com, where you can find out more about today's episode. You'll also find links over to iTunes, where you can rate and review the show, and to Patreon, where you can make a donation to the show. Every donation and every rating we get helps the Projection Booth take over the world. this show and want more people to know about it head on over to itunes leave a comment and rate it five stars make sure you like and share us on facebook and don't forget to follow us on twitter just search for christopher media thank you in advance for supporting christopher media by clicking on the paypal button and by clicking through to all the sponsors who support christophermedia.net most importantly we would like to take the time to extend an extra special thanks to you christopher media could not exist without your support thank you for visiting christophermedia.net and thank you for listening Christopher Media. Let's make some noise.